So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast. Well, guys, we are in the week of If Lead, and you do not want to miss it. August 7th, this Saturday, people from all over the world are gathering to talk about what we are all facing, not just as leaders, but as family members, as friends, as people that love the church, that love God. And and so we invite you to come be a part and to not miss this. The content is incredible, and today you're going to get to hear some of it. Lisa Turkhurst, John Mark Comer, Jada Edwards, and Bianca Altoff, and Shelly Giglio. You're going to get all of that today, a little bite-sized taste of what's going to happen Saturday. Do not miss it. Go to iflead2021.com and sign up today. Do not miss it. It is not very expensive. There's all different price tickets depending on what you want, how much access you want, and what you want to get. So go right now, iflead2021.com. Forgiveness is two parts. Forgiveness is both a decision and it's a process. You make the decision to forgive for the fact of what happened, but then you can walk through the longer process of healing for forgiving for the impact that this has had on you. And for every wound, there is a fact and there's an impact. There's the fact of what happened and the impact of how this has affected you, how much this cost you emotionally. And isn't it interesting that the Bible calls what we need to forgive other people of, those offenses, those hurts, the emotional cost of it all. Jesus himself refers to all of that hurt as debt. It's emotional debt. And it is okay to make the decision to forgive and still need to walk through the process of forgiving. So are you willing to just make the decision to forgive? And I said, I am, but what do I do with these feelings that aren't signing up for me making this decision? I want to make this decision because I want to be obedient to God and I want to start the healing process. And I I trust you, my counselor, I trust you that this is a good thing. It's just, I don't want to feel like I'm faking it. And he said, okay, well then let's just add this one little part at the end. You say, I'm making the decision to forgive this person for this specific hurt on this card that they caused me and add this. And whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. And that's when I started to understand forgiveness isn't based on me gritting my teeth, bossing my feelings around, and conjuring up some sort of fake notion of forgiveness and eking out the sentence, I forgive this person. It's not based on my determination. Forgiveness is based on my cooperation with what Jesus has already done. And as God's forgiveness flows to me, 
I simply just must cooperate with it and let it flow through me to other people. So that's what I did. Forgiveness isn't so much for that other person. Forgiveness is God's provision for the hurting human heart to be able to heal. You see, if we do always wait for this other person to say they're sorry and to own what they've done before we feel like we can move forward and forgive and heal, then what we're saying is that person who hurt us has the ability to hijack our healing. And we're attaching our ability to heal to this person's choices that they may never be willing to make. And I don't want my healing to be hijacked by the person that hurt me. So I make this decision to forgive so that I can live, so that I can sweep my heart clean. So friend, I wanna say this to you. I know what some of you have been through has been awful. And friend, if no one else in this world has ever paused and dared to say that they believe you, I want to do that for you today. I believe you. I believe you were hurt. I believe that what that other person did to you, it was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have said what they said. They shouldn't have done what they did. They shouldn't have left when they left. They They shouldn't have abandoned you or abused you or maybe just disregarded you. They shouldn't have done that. And friend, if they never said that they were sorry, I'll say it to you. I'm so sorry. And I will also say to you that you deserve to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. And the best way to move forward into healing is through the power of forgiveness. But then I looked at my counselor and I said, okay, we have another problem. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna be driving home and maybe 10 minutes from now, uh, maybe an hour from now, something's going to trigger me. And the pain of what happened is gonna come flooding back on me. And then I'm gonna have all of these chaotic feelings of anger, bitterness, rage, resentment, all that stuff, it's gonna come back and then I'm gonna feel like a forgiveness failure. So what do I do about that? And he said to me, Lisa, remember, forgiveness is two parts. It's the decision to forgive for the fact of what happened and it's a process of working through the impact of what's happened to you. So those triggers, when they hurt you, that's not a curse on you. That's that's not an indication that forgiveness didn't stick when you made the decision to forgive. What that is, is an indication that you're now dealing with the impact that that situation had on you. There is an emotional cost to it. And the bigger the emotional cost, the more debt that there is there, emotional debt, the longer the process of healing is going to take. If somebody hurts you and it's the equivalent of a $5 emotional debt, you probably won't have too many triggers over it. But if that person hurt you and it's the equivalent of a $5 million emotional debt, that process is going to take a long time and it's okay. So here's what you do with those triggers. 
each time you're triggered, each time those feelings bubble back up in you and you feel anxious and you feel confused and you don't feel like the forgiveness that you worked on so far has stuck, here's what you do. You say, I've already had a marked moment of forgiveness. I have been obedient to God and I have forgiven for the fact of what happened. But now I need to recognize, I need to forgive for this impact right now. So whether it be for the anxiety I'm feeling or the frustration I'm feeling or the fact that I'm getting triggered, I just stop and have another marked moment. And I say, I know what this is. This is part of the impact that that situation had on me. So now I forgive this person for the impact that their actions had on me. And whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Morning prayer and a weekly Sabbath both function as a kind of governor on the overall speed of our life. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has this great line, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. It does something to slow down at a very literal level, not just your mind and yours, but your body itself to the pace of Jesus, to the pace of love. And now we really come to just a deep passion of mine, hurry and the spiritual life. My last book is all built around this one line from the philosopher Dallas Willard about how hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Not to give it away, but my basic thesis is that hurry is incompatible with love. All of my worst moments as a husband, father, pastor, friend are all when I'm in a hurry, when I'm in a rush, when I'm late, when I'm behind to catch the flight, get in the car, I'm yelling at my kids, I don't have time to listen at all. And if you are a parent in particular, or if you have a roommate, or just if you're a human being, pay attention to your own life. In a moment of hurry, what is coming out of you is not agape. And I have come to the conviction that there is very little that can be done with hurry that cannot be done better without it. People confuse activity with productivity. They are not the same thing, and there's science behind that. I draw a line of delineation between busyness and hurry. Busyness, in my definition, is when you have a lot to do, right? And by that definition, Jesus himself was a very busy man. His life was generative. He wasn't just sitting around like watching TV. He was giving his life away in love. But hurry is when you have too much to do and not enough time to do it. And the only way to even attempt to cram it all in is to speed up your mind and your speech and your body and your relationships with other people to a pace that is incompatible with the love of God. After all, read 1 Corinthians 13, the first descriptor of love, quote, love is patient. Love is a kind of patient attentiveness and compassion to another human being. When we hurry through life, we derail love. This is key for us as leaders because if we are not driven by any, if we are driven by anything other than love, we will self-sabotage and often cause far more damage than we bring about healing. There comes a time in every leader's life when it's not fun anymore. 
COVID-19 is that time for a lot of us. Early on in the pandemic, as I was in prayer and just coming to realize this horrible season as a leader could be the greatest time in my, in my entire lifetime, the greatest opportunity for spiritual formation. I could come out of this more like Jesus, more at peace, more joyful and more full of love and freedom than I ever thought possible in just a few short years. And in that, in a time of listening and prayer, I felt the Spirit of God just bring this one phrase to mind, the motivation must be love. It must be. If we're motivated by anything other than love, by ego or ambition or desire for fame or success or status, by our wound, by fear of what other people think of us, by other people's expectations or opinion on us, by the ideology, both the left and the right. If we are motivated by anything other than love, we will sabotage and we will spread damage. As the saying goes, what you don't transform, you transmit. We cannot lead so many of the most driven, most type A leaders in the world are driven by a deep wound not from a place of healing and of love. We don't need more of that, and especially not right now. We must live in love in the language of the New Testament. So to end, my call is not to rest or participate in mission. It's to rest and mission, to live in the tension as an act of love. love for an audience can prevent us from taking action that won't be seen or recognized. There are going to be countless moments, dare I say, more private moments than public moments when God is going to call you to cross the line, to do something unthinkable, to do something unheard of, and there will be no one to applaud you. Too often, we'll be tempted to skip the right thing because it's not the recognized thing. In my early years and every now and then today, when I'm cleaning up my house, sometimes I'm like, I cannot believe I'm going to spend all day or this hour or two hours cleaning up my house, cleaning up my house and there's no one to watch. Right. I need somebody to witness the fact that I just emptied out this sink, swept these floors, washed these cabinets, did these counters or whatever. And I'll be home by myself doing stuff. And um, I may have been finished with what I was going to do that day. But I'll hear the garage go up. My husband's home. Like, oh, let me. So when he walks in, I'm like, what? See what I've been doing all day long, right? Messing with stuff, messing with dinner on the stove that's already cooked. Just trying to look busy, right? Okay, if it's not you, then you can just laugh. That's fine. But somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. We're trying to do stuff so somebody can see it, right? We love the applause. And God is saying, if you're living your life for an audience of one, being in me, being found in me, my presence in your life, that's the approval. I've already approved you because salvation says I've accepted you, declared you righteous when you didn't deserve it. So the fact that my Holy Spirit, the power, the fullness of my spirit dwells in you and you've always got my presence, that's all the approval you need. And the spirit will affirm you. And one day God's going to stand before you and give you a well done that no applause and no amount of followers and no amount of likes and shares can ever give you. So understand this, you won't always have an audience to watch you take action. Here's number three, courageous love should catch somebody by surprise. Courageous love should catch somebody by surprise. I want you to look at verse nine. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
parenthetical, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, even before we get into the conversation uh, further, the fact that she was caught off guard tells you how countercultural, how much Jesus crossed the line to engage with her. Courageous love should catch someone by surprise. She was shocked that he crossed this line. And truly, he had the upper hand, right? She was like, no, I see myself as the lower uh, out of the two of us because why are you talking to me, right? She saw him as the one with the upper hand. And can I tell you something? We are all called to cross cultural lines. So you have to know in every situation or even in your life as a whole where you have the upper hand. And it's not something to be ashamed of. That's what God has allowed in your life. Do you have the upper hand because of the color of your skin? If you're in a if you're in America, if you're part of the majority culture or the, the culture that's in power, if your skin doesn't have any melanin, and I'm not saying you're black race with no with no melanin, I'm saying if you are white in America. By default, in most situations, you're going to have the upper hand. Uh, if you have money in your account past that certain threshold of what a lower middle class or the poverty line is in America, you're going to have the upper hand. If you have money past what upper middle class is or upper class is called considered rich, you're going to have the upper hand. You may have the upper hand because of connections. You may have the upper hand because of your heritage. Maybe you inherited land. Maybe your parents were not poor. That already gives you the upper hand. Maybe educationally, you have the upper hand. You weren't the first in your uh, in your family to go to college. Maybe you have the upper hand because of what you've been exposed to. You've had experiences. You know what it's like to leave the country or travel or try different things. Whether it's the color of your skin, the money in your bank account, the knowledge in your head, the family around you, these are not things we beat ourselves ourselves up over. These are things we say, God, how do I use this? How do I take the fact that I've got the upper hand in this situation and then go and speak into somebody who might feel like they're less than me? That's crossing the line. Courageous love should catch someone by surprise. There are plenty of times that, that I have the upper hand because of my upbringing or because of my education level or because of my financial status, which, by the way, is not anything to, to write home about. But if you're not poor in this country, you're doing better than a lot of people. So there's always some situation where you have the upper hand. So instead of feeling ashamed, instead of hiding it, use it to take the initiative to, to cross the line and do something that the people who feel like they're beneath you might not do. That's what it means to cross the line. Courageous love should catch someone by surprise. And in this country, even among Christians, we're caught off guard when, when there's betrayal in a marriage and someone chooses to stay. I'm not saying every betrayal, we should always stay. That's case by case. And we understand that, that everybody has different convictions about that. But but there are going to be times where just because something happens that logically gives you an exit doesn't mean that God is spiritually giving you the exit. The way we parent our kids, there are going to be some people who say you don't discipline enough. Some people say you discipline too much. Some people say you let them talk to you too much. It's too much conversation. You include them. Oh, my gosh, you apologize to your kids? Uh, yeah, because parents can be wrong. And I want them to understand that apologizing and brokenness is not a kid thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a God thing. So there's going to be things we do that cross the line. Courageous love should catch someone by surprise. When I apologize to my kids or when I say, hey, I know what it's like to be scared. I was scared. My son sometimes will go, what? 
you were scared? Yes, I know what it's like to be scared of certain things or to feel intimidated. I want to love him in a way that reveals, because guess what? I have the upper hand as the parent. And so if I can cross that line and show him that mommy is not perfect. So when I'm challenging you and pushing you, it's not because I expect you to be perfect. It's because I know what it's like to be there and to be able to overcome it with the power of God. So we we live uh, out of love when we really have reasons to hold a grudge. We forgive even before the person apologizes. We continue to make friends. We continue to trust even when we've been hurt. Um, and we and we don't hold our offenders in judgment. We see them with grace and humanity. Hey guys, Chloe here, and I want to make sure that you know about If Lead 2021 that's coming up on Saturday, August 7th. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to text a couple friends right now. You're going to go to iflead2021.com, I-F-L-E-A-D-2021.com, and you're going to sign up to join us. It's Saturday, August 7th, and I'm telling you guys, If Lead is one of my favorite days of the entire year. We know that you're busy, you're pouring out, you're doing a lot of stuff for your families, your coworkers, and this is just truly a chance to stop, to get equipped, to learn. The breakouts are absolutely incredible this year. You don't want to miss it. This year, you will get to sit under the teaching of Jenny, of course, Jill Briscoe, Joshua Ryan Butler, Tony Collier, John Mark Comer, Jess Conley, Annie Downs, Jada Edwards, our friends Louie and Shelly Giglio, Lisa Harper, Earl and Onika McClellan, Latasha Morrison, Ruth Simons. I mean, it goes on, guys. Lisa Turkers is going to be there. Dr. Thompson that we've had on the podcast a few times now. Like, If Lead is going to be absolutely incredible this year. Don't miss it. Go to iflead2021.com and sign up today. Now we have spaces and moments and times of our life where we go through the fires of life. Maybe you have been plucked up from your home and security and you're now living somewhere else in a new community. You have no friends and you're completely isolated. Maybe you had a negative medical report or maybe you're waiting for results of your cancer test. Maybe you are working in a job that has zero job clarity and you're frustrated because you don't know how to succeed or win. Maybe you have a wayward child that you're praying will come back to Jesus. Maybe you're single and alone and you're saying, please God, give me a husband. Wherever you are on this spectrum, we have these moments, but this is what I want to remind us of today. We can be fearless in life's fires because our God is always faithful. So the question is how? Using the story of our Hebrew homies, we're gonna literally find ourselves in the middle of a fire. Now you are in Daniel chapter three. We don't have a whole lot of time, so I've gotta give you some context to speed through this chapter. But we discover early on with also historical documentation that these boys, in our understanding, were trafficked from their homeland, okay? Now, one thing to note, these were the creme de la creme. These were the top and the brightest. These were the learned folks. I firmly believe that there was also a level of attraction to them as well. They're picking and plundering the best from Israel and they're taking them to Babylon. Now, in my mind's eye, these aren't the brothers with the snaggle tooth and the unibrow. Uh-uh. They've got like the eight pack, like Michael B. Jordan. They got two eyebrows, straight teeth. They speak multiple languages and they have been trained to know the word of God. Now, at this point, their parents are most likely dead. They've been thrust into a new culture, new language, a new religion that's based off of what we would consider witchcraft and a cult religion based off of astrology. But yet, in the midst of all that, these boys 
they found favor and influence in the eyes of the king. But as they, if they rose in popularity, as is the case, some, ahent, some, some haters and dissenters also rose to throw some salt, okay? And there was a trap. There was a trap set up so that the boys would be forced to bow down and worship a God. Now, uh, Daniel chapter three starts off with this massive dedication party. In verses one through seven, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, it's a long name, we'll call him King Nebi for short. He built this 90 foot statue. It was either made out of all gold or covered in gold. And um, he invited the people from the land, the provinces and the surrounding areas. I mean, he, everyone was invited to this turn up. It was a party. Thousands, if not millions, are bowing down to a graven image of gold. So go there in your mind, okay? Go there in the theater of your mind. The music is pumping. The DJ is Everyone is there. TMZ's got their cameras out to see who's there. Oh, it's Haley and Justin Bieber. Oh, it's Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh, it's Kim and Kanye. It's Beyonce and Jay-Z. And everyone knew that once the music started, you had to bow down and worship this graven image of gold. And if you didn't, well, you'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, the boys gained favor. And as I mentioned, as they elevated, so did their haters. So in verses eight, nine, 10, and 11, they roll up with pomp and circumstance, the haters, the astrologers, the satraps, the prefects, fancy names for the political pundits of the time. Go to the king and say, your majesty, in their posterior smooching way, they said, your majesty, how great are you? How awesome are you? You have this great orchestra here. And when the music goes, everyone bows down. But there are some people that are not obeying. And this is where we pick up the story in, verse chap in chapter three, verse 12. But, now this is the astrologers talking to King Nebi, but there are some Jews who you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, uh, what are their names? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, who pay you no attention, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, we discover in Daniel chapter one that these boys, they dedicated their lives to the studying of Yahweh, the studying of God. Now, during this time, no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that they were having conversations. They were having discussions and praying, what should we do? And we know that these boys were not boys and men who compromised. If you're taking note on how to have faith in your fire, I want you to write this down. The decisions you make today will affect your tomorrow. The convictions that you have in this season uh, will determine the person you are in the next season. That what you're doing now and how you're doing it now will determine what God will trust you with next. Now, nothing has changed since the times of Daniel's. No, you will choose. You will choose on how you want to live your life. You will be faced with your even if decisions. The question I'm asking is, who are you listening to? Where are you getting the answers for your life? Because in the beginning of the book of Daniel, we are told that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those weren't their birth names. Those weren't their Hebrew names. No, no, no. What we see here, and names are super important in Jewish culture. Well, why? Because names were a prophetic nature to describe your characteristics. The name Shadrach means illuminated by sun god. But what was his Hebrew name? Beloved by God. Meshach, his name is who is, who is like Venus? But Mishael, his Hebrew name, means who is like God. And Abednego means servant of Nebu. But his Hebrew name means the Lord is my God. So what is the name that we've allowed other people to call us in the midst of our crisis? Who are we listening to, friends? Some of us need to be reminded of our name daily. You are a child of God, that God loves you, God values you, God has chosen you. 
And the problem that we face when we are come face to face with the fire is when those fiery moments come, we are tempted to be re-identified, reclaimed. And no one can take your name, child of God. And in this season, in this crazy season that I'm coming out of and actually still kind of in the middle of, I feel like I refuse to let anyone rename me. And the enemy wants to rename us, re-identify us and reclaim us. But I refuse to let the enemy call me, Miss doesn't have what it takes. Miss cannot survive a trial. Miss the best is behind her. Or my least favorite, Miss humiliation awaits her. See, I know the truth and I want you to know the truth. The devil is a liar. And mine, I know what my name is. My name is Bianca Wattis Oltoff. I am a prophetic declare over God's people, the goodness, the love, the mercy, and the truth of what he has for his people. So I refuse to be anyone else because God has fashioned me this way. And I'm encouraging you, what name has God given you? Because the decisions you make today, it will determine your tomorrow. think back to a few years ago and I mean we were going through things on every level things that you know I can't necessarily put into books but but are devastating and were affecting us personally and they were big big things and that was those were times I would call you and I think the loneliness that comes because of that is that you don't trust and I actually wrote about this that I just I withdrew and I I didn't want to be vulnerable and I didn't want to let people in. You don't want to hurt again. And it and it just makes you wonder like is this coming? You kind of brace. So talk about because the other thing you said to me is you would say thick skin, soft heart. And you I, I want to bring up the soft heart part because you can have one or the other and and you're not going to go far in leadership. It takes both. You can't lose the soft heart and I think that in that time I had to choose to keep a soft heart, to be vulnerable with people, to let people in, to trust people again, but it is hard. Because when you are hurt, you can't be the same. You're not the same person after the hurt that you were before the hurt. God does restore, He does heal, He does bring about new and fresh things, but He doesn't always take us right back to exactly the way we were, but that's not a bad thing. And I think if, if we think it's bad that we can't just return to exactly the way we were, then we'll be devastated because I'm a vulnerable leader. I put my heart out there. I lead with my heart. I talk about, I mean, when I talk about Jesus, I cry pretty much every time I talk about him and people are like, is she okay? You know, but I, he's so everything to me that when I mention his name, it brings tears to my eyes. And I think that's a gift. And Satan would love nothing more than to steal that gift from me. I mean, the scripture is clear. He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And those are the only three purposes he has. That's the only reason he's here. And that's what he'll do to all of us all day if we let him. And so in a moment of hurt, is he stealing from me? Is he trying to kill me and destroy me? Yes. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and not just average life, abundance, like joy, unspeakable joy and happiness and life, like quality of life. And so I have a moment of grieving the loss. I'm not the same person anymore, but looking for the gain. Where am I going from here? Why is God allowing this? Why did this pass through His hand to me? So that I would be hurt, destroyed, killed, devastated? No, that's not His work. That's Satan's work. So what is the purpose then? Why am I sitting here? And what does my future look like? And the future me, 
already know I've read scripture is better version of me than I am right now. So I don't have anything to dread by being hurt. I have something to look forward to. And I just choose to see it that way. And that way has changed everything for me. When you think about legacy and you think about what people will say about your ministry, Shelly, and I mean you, not just Louie and Passion, but you, what do you hope people remember and think of? Honestly, and I've said this word so many times, I think even as we've talked today, but I really just want to be faithful. I don't, I don't even want to be fruitful over faithful. I want to be faithful, and I think in faithfulness comes fruit. I think my life will have fruit and that people will talk about the fruit for a while, and I'm grateful for that. But I don't want them to talk about the fruit of conferences and churches and um, big events. I want them to talk about the girl who showed up day after day after day and said to God, God, I don't have much today, but I'm here. And whatever I have belongs to you. You can have it and you can use it in whatever way you seem fit. And I want people, when they talk about me, to talk about that. And when they do, I'm sure all the bigger things will come up. Oh, well, she did this or she did that. Look how cool that was. And that's okay. But right. I don't want that to be the story. I want the story to be she's the girl that kept showing up. Wasn't that incredible? I'm telling you, and there's even more. Annie Downs, Tony Collier, and I are hosting live on Saturday. I can't wait to be with my friends and to lead you through this incredible day of content. So go sign up right now, iflead2021.com. Do not miss it. And if you're listening to this after August 7th, you can still download this content and you'll still find it in the exact same place. So go iflead2021.com, whether it's before August 7th and you're gonna join us live or after the fact, and you can download all the content it is so rich and so good, and I'm so excited for you to experience it. We need some good inputs right now. It feels like the entire world is just hopeless and, and sending messages of fear. And this is a day that will build your courage and give you a vision for how to go forward. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.